Well, we are um, we are concluding our um, our uh, series, our conversation that we've been looking at the the book of Exodus. Uh, what we've been learning as we go along is that it is God's nature to get people out of difficult situations. That that is that is who God is. He's a God who liberates people when they get into trouble, and that's good news. Um, and what we've seen though is that. That doesn't always happen immediately. That what we've seen in the story of the Exodus is that God brought people out of uh, their slavery in Egypt, but they aren't in the promised land yet. God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land, but they aren't there yet. The, the, the book of Exodus, the name Exodus itself translates the road out, that it's not an instantaneous transition. You know, I was in slavery then, and now I'm in the promised land. It's not like that. It's actually a road. And what we've been learning is that that road can be difficult. Last week, we saw that one of the difficulties is that, is that Israel has become free. They are, they are free people, but a part of, but, but freedom isn't easy. Freedom can be very hard. Um, and one of the ways freedom can be hard is it means you're free to starve. You're free to die of thirst. And that was the situation that Israel found it in last week. That when they were slaves back in Egypt, that wasn't a situation that they had to deal with. They had the flesh pots of Egypt and so forth. But what we saw last week is that, is that when they were in the desert, they were, they were free, but that included freedom to, to, uh, uh it, it included freedom to experience the lack of the material world's necessities, that, that now they had to provide for them themselves. And in the desert, of course, they couldn't, so God provided it for them. God provided them manna from heaven to eat and uh, water from, uh, from uh, this uh, pool that, that was available that God had transformed, and then later on, water from a rock. So God provided uh, for the people in their need. But that's only one of the ways that freedom is hard. Freedom can be hard because of the situation out there. But sometimes freedom is hard because of the situation in here or between you and me. The problem is I'm free and I don't necessarily know what to do with my freedom. Freedom takes some practice. Freedom takes learning. And, and, you know, maybe you can reflect back on a time in your own life. You know, your parents were away or uh, you were, you know, in your new apartment or something like that. You were free. You had freedom. And if you look back on that time in your life, you think, well, you know, how many mistakes did I make? What did I do wrong now that I had freedom? I, I, I was free, but that includes the freedom to make really bad mistakes. And you may think about your life and you may say, you know, well, you know, I exercised my freedom badly. I, I got into, you know, more, I, I spent too much money. I was, um, kind of behind in my payments and, you know, I ended up having the car repossessed or whatever it was that, that you used your freedom badly. You think to yourself, you know, if I had used my freedom better, then I would have been able to, to do something with that job. And instead they ended up letting me go and I had to find new work and so forth. And maybe, maybe you can say, well, look, that was then, you know, I kind of learned my lesson and I've kind of moved on and, you know, hopefully I have learned my lesson. Hopefully whatever, whatever tomorrow brings, um, I'm equipped now. I have learned how to manage my freedom and that particular problem I'm not going to be confronted by again. Now, you know, we don't know what other problems we might have because it's a learning process. But, but the idea is hopefully we've at least learned the general idea. Freedom is hard and it's not always easy to exercise it well. So we've learned that. But I think just as often as the mistakes we make ourselves as we exercise our freedom, oftentimes the mistakes that we, we, or not the mistakes, the problems we have come from the, the boundary between your freedom and my freedom. That we're both free. 
you know, that, that we, we are free to do what we want, but as the, the old saying goes, your freedom to swing your fist stops at the end of my nose. That, that we have freedom, but, but there's limits to freedom. And it, it, the limit between your freedom and my freedom is a place where there's conflict. That, that there, there's, there's things, and you can say again, this is something probably a lot of us can, can reflect back on and say, yes, if I had exercised my freedom better, or if I'd made room for somebody else to exercise their freedom better, then, then maybe that relationship would have worked out in a way it didn't. Maybe, uh, my, my marriage would have worked out in a way it didn't. Maybe my kids would, have more to do with me now that that we may we may have regrets relating to the way that we exercised that kind of freedom the interpersonal freedom that we have as well as our own individual um, uh, autonomous freedom freedom isn't easy but there's a difference between the the freedom that the the the, the challenges of freedom that are inside us and and between us and the freedom uh, the the difficulties that are outside and the difference is that God can can intervene in a different way for the problems that are out there we saw that in the story last week how God provided manna and and um uh, water to the people in the wilderness God can intervene in the material world in a way that that he will not intervene in in our lives. And the reason for that is that God didn't liberate Israel so that he could just put them in a new kind of slavery. I mean, in one sense, their problems would be over. If God simply said, okay, here's the way it's going to be. Henceforth, you will never be able to do anything wrong. I'm, you know, I'm God, right? I, I steer galaxies around, right? I do what I want. I can make you do whatever you want. You're going to get up at 6 a.m. You're going to do calisthenics. You're going to, you know, uh, only have one cup of coffee instead of a pot. You know, you're going to do, you're going to do it my way because I'm God and I can make that happen. I can ensure that you will do what's good for you and what's good for the people around you. God could do that, but God chooses not to. God did not free people from one kind of slavery just to put them in a new set of chains. God doesn't free people just to give them new chains. He wants free people. And so God cannot intervene uh, in the way that he would in the area of, of the material world. That we can say, uh, and, and I do say, that in many ways, the reason our lives are better today is because God has been intervening in the world. That, that uh, you know, we have, you know, Zoom calls, you know, a mixed blessing for sure, but we have them. That the world is getting better in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, there's a statistic that can't be told enough. Last uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday, 137,000 people around the globe were lifted from extreme poverty. 137,000. In in one week, twice the population of Anchorage is lifted out of extreme poverty, and this has been going on for 20 years. Over two billion people have been lifted out of um, extreme poverty since the year 2000. It's an amazing success story. God is providing manna in the wilderness. But God does that in the material world. God will not apply the same uh, 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 grace to people or not in the same way that he does in the material world because he doesn't want us to be slaves. Uh, God is not leading us from the wilderness to North Korea. God is not telling us, you know, you're only going to have three haircuts to choose from. That 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 God doesn't want us to be slaves. God wants us to be free. And God is willing for us to make the mistakes. God is willing to watch us and maybe cringe while we make the mistakes in our lives. While we do, while we deal with our freedom in ways that are not constructive. So, 
The reason for that is that is God's intention. Paul tells us in the letter to the Galatians, he says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, that we have been freed, not from Egypt, but from the power of sin and death. And it was not so that we would have new chains. It was for freedom. So God wants us to be free. So what do we do then? Do we just gut it out? Do we just say, well, I guess the the lesson here is sink or swim. You know, it's survival of the fittest. Is this just kind of, hopefully you will figure it out. You won't make any any more mistakes that you will get on top of the, the challenges of freedom. Is that is that all we've got to look forward to? Well, in our reading today from the book of Exodus, we see that that's not the case. We see actually there is there is a solution. And so let's go ahead and take a look at what we find in the um, the book of Exodus. So. So we're picking up the story in chapter 18, and um, uh, it says the next day. So the next day after what? Well, um, we are we are the if we, if we back up over the past two chapters, so 17 and, and um, uh, the beginning of 18. The the situation is that Israel has been moving through the wilderness, not toward the Promised Land. They're actually moving toward Mount Sinai. In chapter 20, they're going to receive the law from God, but they haven't got there yet. They are camped near the mountain of God. So we don't know how near, but they're not there yet. So, uh, and, and and while they're camped there, uh, Moses' father-in-law comes out to meet them. He brings Moses' um, uh, wife and his children with him. At some point, they went to visit, you know, to be with uh, um, her dad, Moses' father-in-law. And now he's come back, he's brought them with him, and um, and that's where they're at now. So he he has he has uh, uh, had this opportunity to hear from Moses. They kind of catch up, and then we're picking up the story in verse thirteen. So the next day, the the day after they've caught up, Moses sat as a judge for the people, while the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. What does that mean? He sat as a judge. Uh, in in that culture uh, and in many cultures. Um, the, the idea of a judge is more than just somebody who sorts out criminals. That there's an idea that you go to people who can help you um, uh, uh, resolve conflicts. It's uh, somewhere between a counselor and a judge, we might say. So you might think of a civil action where you bring a lawsuit or something like that. And that's the situation. There's a lot of people, they are free. They will never go back to slavery in Egypt. Never for the, the history of the, the people of God in, the, in the, the Hebrew scriptures. They never go back to Egypt. They are free. But they're having trouble learning how to exercise it well. You know, they're, they're bringing these cases to Moses. You know, you know, do something about my neighbor. You know, his camel got into my tent and knocked everything. You know, whatever it is. They, they were bringing these problems to Moses. And they did it all day long from beginning of the day to the end. So Moses, um, had took, took a day off to catch up with, with his father-in-law. But then, you know, it's, it's back to work. And so his father-in-law is watching him. And at the end of that, um, at the end of that day, or at some point, Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, and he said, what's this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? So he says, what are you doing? Or maybe, what on earth are you doing? So, so Moses says to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And he explains they're looking, you know, for all this stuff. And Moses' father-in-law says, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, what are you doing? He says, what you're doing is not good. It's it's not good. And why is it not good? He says, you'll end up totally wearing yourself out, both you and these people who are with you. He says, he says it's not good for the judge to get overextended and tired because, 
we're relying on his judgment. So if he's tired, if he's not thinking clearly, that that's a that's not going to be a very effective judge. And in particular, if the judge starts looking at his watch and you know, I promised Zipporah I'd be home by five, and and you know it's six thirty, and you know I may just decide to you know be arbitrary for the next three cases. The guy on the right wins the next three cases because it's a bad thing for the judge to be overextended to not know how to how to function because he's got too much work to do. He says that's a bad thing for you, but it's even worse for the people. Why is it worse for the people? Because Justice delayed is justice denied. That that if they go to the to, to Moses with a problem and he can resolve it, that's great. They will go to Moses. But if Moses is raising the cost of justice, if he's saying, you know what, you got to walk across the camp, you got to find wherever Moses is is in session today. You got to stand around for hours and hours, hoping that he will hear your case and that then he will understand what the situation is. And there's not like a backlog, so he's kind of in a hurry. You have to, you have to really want to do that. And at some point, the cost is going to be so great that people are going to say, well, forget it. You know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to just take matters into my own hands. I'm going to punch that guy and then I won't have this problem anymore. And if he punches back, well, I've got cousins and, and, you know, nephews and so forth and we're going to gang up and then we're going to punch him and all of his nephews, right? That he's saying, this is a bad thing. You want to have functioning civil government and you are a bottleneck, Moses. It's not working because of you. And so he says, now listen to me and let me give you some advice. He says, If I can find it. Now, now, listen to me and let me give you some advice and may God be with you. And then he, he provides this, this proposal. He says, he says, what you should do is get some help. And, you know, that's not really a hard concept. If you're overworked, you know, getting help is, is a good idea. So he says, get some help. And then he outlines this whole structure. He, he imagines a situation that has, that has layers of, of, um, Judges. So he says, he says, get a lot of people. So, so, uh, judges over, over tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands. He says, get, get, so, and the details don't really matter, but the point he's saying is, is get a lot of judges, lots of judges. So everybody, I mean, every ten people can have a judge that somebody that they can go to when there's a problem. You know, your camel knocked over my water bucket or whatever. You can get that dealt with right away at a very local level by somebody who knows the situation that, that you, they can say, well, yeah, this guy just perpetually lets his camel wander around. You know, you've got to do something about that. You have somebody who knows the story, who knows the personalities, knows what happened last month when, you know, this is not the first time this, you know, whatever. You've got a judge who actually knows the whole story. That's a good thing to have, to have something that's wide, that, that spreads through the entire community. That's a good structure. But it's also deep because if there's a tricky question, you know, what do you do about this situation? You know, we've never had to deal with this kind of problem before. We don't know what to do. Then you can bump it upstairs. You can talk to, you know what? I'm going to take, you know, follow me. We're going to go find the, the judge at the next level up. And I'm going to tell, but I want you guys with me so that you can explain, you know, if I miss any details. So, so come with me. We're going to get help from a more experienced, uh, hopefully a wiser judge who can, who can deal with these naughty uh, problems and, and all the way up to Moses. And at Moses level, the idea is that Moses, you know, by the time something gets to Moses, it's passed through four levels of judges. It's probably pretty tricky. Moses can take it. He can try to figure it out himself, but he can also go straight to God with it. He can say, God, what do we do about this particular situation? So that's the structure that, that, um, that, uh, uh, 
uh, Jethro or the, the father-in-law. Um, I, I, it's funny, the, the passage calls him the father-in-law, 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 except the last verse where it says Jethro went home. And it's, it's kind of a funny thing that Jethro goes by two names. One of them is Jethro and the other is Ruhel, depending on which book of the Bible you're in. And, and so here, here they, they're kind of are dodging by, by saying, you know what? Moses is a father-in-law. So Moses' father-in-law says, says, here's this structure. He lays out this entire structure. And he says, this is a, this is how you will resolve the problem. And, um, and, it's not, it's not rocket science. You know, it's really kind of obvious if you think about it. This, you know, if you've got too much to do, recruit some help. And yes, this is a pretty good structure to, to, to fan it out across the entire community, but provide some, some, um, some depth as well. So it's wide, but it's also deep. That's a, that's a good structure, but there's nothing magical about it. It's not some breathtaking insight. In fact, back in chapter two, we read that Moses grew up in the court of Pharaoh, that he was, he was the, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he would have seen, he would have seen this kind of structure. He knew that Pharaoh didn't go out and do everything himself. Pharaoh would have a vizier do something or a, a some kind of an officer do stuff like this. That, that he knew that this is the way the world works, but for whatever reason, Moses wasn't seeing it. He was, you know, maybe it's the the urgent versus the important or whatever it was, whatever reason, Moses was not seeing this problem in the way it was having a negative effect on him and the people that he was supposed to be um, leading. And so he needed some advice. He needed his father-in-law. And, I, you know, let me say thank you. Thank you, God, for fathers-in-law. I went to my father-in-law once with a problem in, in not this church, but the, the church I served previously. And I was, you know, it's like, do I have to fight over this or should I just leave or whatever? And he said, why don't you do this? And he gave me some advice. And it was like, it was the perfect solution. It was exactly what I needed to hear. And it actually resolved the situation at the church. It's great to have an advisor. And, um, and it's, it's great that Moses listened. And, and because sometimes we need somebody who can just kind of see the situation with fresh eyes. That, that they look at it and they say, you know, what are you doing? What, you know, what on earth? And Moses says, well, I'm doing what I do every day. And he says, no, but, but what are you doing? And he just had fresh eyes and he was able to see it. Or maybe everybody saw it. And they were just waiting for somebody who felt comfortable telling Moses what to do. I mean, you know, Moses like, Rains of frogs and stuff, you know, it's like, be careful telling, you know, walk on tiptoes around Moses. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, nobody else told Moses something that was probably pretty obvious to a lot of people. And Moses just needed a nudge. Moses needed somebody who could kind of say, don't you see what you're doing? And then Moses probably slapped his head and said, yeah, of course, I, Pharaoh did this all the time. I used to see this, right? So, so he implements the plan. So, he says, he says, um, uh, Jethro, the father-in-law says, if you do this and God directs you, you will be able to endure and these people will go back to their homes much happier. They will have peace. Literally, they will go back in peace. They won't be fighting and they will have shalom. They will have the, this rich, deep kind of peace that comes from that. So, so, um, so what, what Jethro does, what the father-in-law does, is he proposes two things. He says, he says, um, or he illustrates two things. First of all, sometimes we just need somebody to come to us with an idea. We need somebody who can make a nudge, somebody who can say, hey, have you ever considered this? Uh, or, or what are you doing? Or what on earth are you doing? We need people like that. We need people like, like Jethro's, uh, I keep saying Jethro, the father-in-law, um, that, 
that you need people like that who can just kind of give you a timely word. I think a lot of parents have had this situation where they could talk themselves blue in the face. They tell their kids, do this, do this, do this, do this. And the kid, it's like, totally blows us off. And then one day the kid comes back and says, hey, my friend says I should do this. And you kind of go, your friend sounds very wise. <laughs> you should take his advice. Because because sometimes you just need somebody who can who can tell us what to do because we're just not seeing it for whatever reason. The other thing is we need we need we need a trusted third party. We need these judges that that Jethro doesn't say, you know what, you just need Moses, you need to bring the hammer down. You need to make a set of rules. You need to make rules that people don't dare disobey. You need to if better yet you know, you should pray to God and force people to do. God can basically bend these people like they were made out of clay, just reshape all the people so they never get into these troubles at all. But that's not the advice that Jethro gives. Jethro says, no, let them exercise their freedom. And when they bump into problems, then they can go to a trusted third party. They can go to one of these local judges, but they don't they're not limited by whatever their local judge's capabilities are. They can appeal upward. They can they can go upward to get more depth. And that brings us to Pentecost. What does all this have to do with Pentecost? Well, we've seen a couple of times in, in uh, reading Exodus the way that the events related to the Exodus prefigure things in the life of the church. We've seen the way that, that uh, the, the giving of manna prefigures the, uh, the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. We've seen the way that crossing the Sea of Reeds actually prefigures uh, Christian baptism. So we've seen that. And I think the idea here prefigures the coming of the Holy Spirit because what Jethro, what the father-in-law of Moses has proposed is what God promised later on through prophets in the life of the history of of Israel. Long, long centuries later, after they were in the promised land, God said he would send his, his Holy Spirit to be what the people need, to be that trusted third party who could adjudicate claims, who could, who could sort out conflicts, but could also provide a word of advice at the, at the perfect moment. Uh, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit is like a father-in-law, only better. He is able to, to present us with the, the timely word we need, not just with human wisdom, but with God's wisdom. The Holy Spirit would be able to to uh, resolve conflicts because he knows the whole situation. When when you ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what should I do in this circumstance? I think I'm right. She thinks she's right. What should I do? The Holy Spirit knows both of you. He knows the whole story. He knows he's like that local judge. He's like that local judge who knows what happened last month, who knows the whole picture, who knows excuses. Like I told the children, who knows excuses during our prayer of confession, um, who knows the excuses that we won't even think of until, you know, three days later. It's like, oh, I should have said that, right? The Holy Spirit knows all those things. He's got the depth and the breadth. He's local. He's as close as a whisper, but he knows all the story. He's got the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. This is what God promised. And at Pentecost, God fulfilled his promise. He kept his promise to send the Spirit. So, that is what happened at Pentecost. God fulfilled his promise to send the helper, the advocate, the counselor that Jesus had promised. So, 
If he did that, if this prefigures the coming of the Holy Spirit, then why in two chapters do we get the law? If, if God's intention is not to put people in chains, if God's intention is to actually give us the equipment we need to, to give us the advisor who will help us live in freedom, why then in two chapters does God give the law? Well, first of all, notice the order. First of all, God creates these structures among the people of Israel before he gives the law. But more than that, the law is a temporary thing. We know it's a temporary thing. Paul tells us in the letter to the Galatians, he says, we were guarded under the law, locked up un- until faith that was coming would be revealed. So the law became our custodian until Christ. The law is like a set of training wheels. It was a temporary thing. The Ten Commandments that they will receive in two chapters is a temporary thing that was given until Christ was revealed. And in the same letter, Paul says this, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, that, that when we are adopted as children of God, the Spirit comes into us. And therefore, we are no longer slaves. God does not want slaves. God will not bend us to His will. Instead, God equips us to exercise our freedom as free people. Jesus tells us, I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends. God did not free Israel to take them to North Korea and an oppressive totalitarian regime. God freed people from Egypt to bring them into the land of promise. Jesus freed us from sin and death, not so that we could then walk the straight and narrow and be told, you know, exactly what to do in every way, but so that we would become people who could exercise our freedom responsibly. And God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can do that with the best of all possible counselors. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be attentive to what he teaches us, the the advice, the timely word of advice, the nudge, the clearing of his throat to say, have you considered? Lord, we, we thank you for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the understanding that we can draw on, that we can ask to be given as we, as we negotiate the, the challenges of exercising our freedom, um, as individuals and as uh, people in relationship with other free people. Lord, we ask that you would guide us, that you would, you would help us to listen to the work of your spirit as he guides each of us and all of us. We pray these things in the name of the one who sent him to us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.